You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Grace. And hey, it is Chelsea. And today we are going to do one of our special episodes. We do a couple throughout the year on holidays. Uh, and I think we got a lot of good reviews from last year when we did one on Halloween. It is kind of a Halloween themed one that we're going to go with. And it is an older case actually. And I feel like you've probably seen it or heard about it. I didn't recognize uh, the name we're going to be talking about Shauna Howe. I didn't really recognize it at first, but seeing her mom, I think she did a lot of stuff, like a lot of interviews and stuff in the media because her face is just so familiar and so is her voice. Okay. So you might already know about the case, but we're going to do like a really, really deep dive into the entire thing. Awesome. Yes. And like Halloween is my favorite holiday, you know, and it's especially exciting for kids. I know my son is so excited beyond belief. Just the thought of like being able to pick something to dress up as, you know, the things that they love. And, you know, I personally think it's the best time of the year out of all the holidays. Um, I love Halloween. <laughs> oh, yes. And I think Sarah does, too. I think we... The three of us. It's like oh yeah, big holiday for us. Um, We'd all be hanged in the 1600s. <laughs> Probably. <sure>. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and with Halloween, we kind of all have our own traditions. I mean, do you have any traditions that you do in your home? Uh, I start decorating in August, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, like one of my traditions is now going to Bates Motel with you. <laughs> oh, yes, that is true. It's our second so I year. Do, I do enjoy joy haunts. So. Yes. I know. I mean, I, th I guess with us, it changes over the years. Landon, like the trunk or treats, you know, those are mostly geared for smaller kids than like the haunts that we've been doing with you. We go apple picking. We go to our local mm, farm and literally cut our pumpkins off the vines those are just some of our activities, the jack-o'-lanterns, you know, we make um, special cookies. We just really go all out. And a lot of families do. I think it's different for every single family, all the stuff that they do together. And it's just something that, you know, people really look forward to. And I think in the city, we're going to talk about Oil City. It was like also a really big Halloween community type town. There was tons of events going on and we're going to specifically be talking about, um, Halloween in 1992 and it was completely ruined and actually canceled. I have really never heard of Halloween being canceled, canceled. And it threw me by surprise, but on the 27th, a little girl, her name was Shauna Howe. She ended up not show up at home on time. She had left her home dressed in her Halloween costume. She was going as a gymnast and she was on her way to join her Girl Scout troop in singing to the senior citizens in an old age home that was local to them. Then afterwards, she walked to her local church and they had a Halloween party together for like her troop. Then Shauna was supposed to get picked up and her mom forgot. We're actually going to play a little bit of a clip 
from an interview between Shauna's mom, Lucy, and her stepfather, John. Um, I know we haven't really, I don't think, ever played, like, No, I don't think so. I'm really excited for that. So we're going to try it. It's going to happen. Darren's going to be, like, our main man. So Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Darren. <laughs> so we'll play that for you, but I'll go over a little bit of it. But it's, I think it's important to hear word for word how it happened with them. Sure. I used to love to dress the kids up. Shauna loved Halloween, too. I remember that morning, Shauna come over and she says, Mom, I've got the Girl Scouts tonight. We've got the Halloween thing. We're going up to the nursing home. She gave me a kiss and a hug and told me she loved me. And then she was gone. And that was it. They got out of Girl Scouts at between 7.30 and 8 o'clock. Shauna and Joey L had left together. Nobody was there to pick up Shauna because I forgot. They come out of the alley where the Girl Scout meeting was, and at the corner there, Joey L went straight down, and uh, Shauna made the left and was coming up the street. Lucy calls, and I said, you know, Shauna ain't home yet. What time's that Girl Scout stuff? She says, that should have been over. I started getting worried. I mean, even the latest party for the Girl Scouts wouldn't last that late. I told John to call, like, the hospitals to see if there had been any type of accidents or anything. The police showed up, and they come to the house. Maybe she was lost. Maybe she stayed at a friend's. I think that was the hope. And then other reports started coming in. So after this Girl Scout party, Shauna ended up walking home. Another girl was walking with her at the time, but didn't live on the exact same street. So apparently Lucy, the mom, says that this other girl offered to walk Shauna home. And Shauna was like, no, it's fine. It was only a couple blocks away. The other girl, like, peeled off and Shauna kept walking. Maybe I just missed this. How old was Shauna? She was 11. Okay, gotcha. So she wasn't, like, too young to be walking home on her on her own. Like, especially sure. not back then, I think. I feel like a lot of people walked around back then, especially in, like, those smaller communities, if that makes sense. It seemed like it was another town that, like, everyone felt safe. Nothing bad happened there. It was one of those communities. I lived in a fairly small community um, when I was that age, and it's Bechtelsville, close to Boyertown. But I would walk to the local, like, candy store and that was quite a few blocks from my house. So, yeah, I don't think it's super young. No, not at all. And I think that's just why she wasn't, like, worried to walk on without her friend. Like, she knew where she was going. She was very close to home. And in there's, uh, I think, two or three A&E episodes regarding this case. But in one of them, uh, Lucy, her mom states that she had forgotten to pick Lucy up. And it wasn't so much that she forgot. She was working at the time and she thought that her shift would be done in time for her to go and pick up. But she forgot to set up like that backup. Okay. And if you're a parent, I mean, time, I swear, time moves so fast that one, you know, minute and another minute is like dragging on. And I'm pretty sure that probably haunts her for the rest of her life because, like, yeah, now Shauna is gone. And um, it's just really sad. You can, in the clip that Darren will play for you, uh, you can just hear how sad she is. Mm. Yeah, that's got to be hard. And, I mean, people can point fingers all they want, but 
I mean, that's just such an easy thing to to do, to just forget the backup and assume that you'll be out in time. It's yeah, just a very oh, yes. simple thing. And then, like, back then, not we weren't, like, with the cell phones. Like, it wasn't, like, a quick, easy phone call or, like, text. You know, I don't sure. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, so, Shauna was walking on West 1st Street. And at that time, it was, like, the busiest streets in town. Mm-hmm. So, like, would you really think something would happen? Like, there was lights on the street. It was busy. People were passing. There was other people walking. Like, would you really think that would be the best spot for an abduction? I just, Right. I would never assume that. Yeah, I wouldn't be, like, worried or panicked or really paying attention to my surroundings because, you know... I have other people around me. At 8 p.m., a concerned citizen, his name was Dan Payton, called the police because he witnessed an abduction. He explained to police that he was walking along West 1st Street and Reed Street when he noticed a tall, thin man following a young girl. He walked past and heard a muffled scream and what seemed to be the sounds of a struggle. When he rushed to get back to where he had saw the girl, the man and the girl were no longer there. The citizen noticed an Oldsmobile Omega, which I have no idea what kind of car that is. Nope. Yeah. No clue. Um... Apparently, it's like a smaller car, and it had a dull red primer, and it was speeding away when this guy, like, turned around. Okay. And it was interesting because this was mentioned in the A&E episode that this was definitely the time before cell phones, so Dan had to run door-to-door to find someone that was actually home before he could even make a call to the police. And Don't we take that for granted? Oh, absolutely. I mean... <laughs> Holy cow. I can't imagine not just having my phone and calling 911. Yeah. And it, it wasn't that long ago. We were alive at yeah. this time. It just <laughs> seems true. so foreign. Yes. And it's like, how did we survive? I don't know. And it just kind of makes me think like, if we did have cell phones at that time, would there have been less time for the quote unquote assailant to get away? Like, would they have been able to like make a perimeter, you know, in time? Like, I mean, I couldn't find anywhere how much time had elapsed from when he witnessed it to when he actually made the phone call. Like, it could be, like, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Like we mentioned, it was during the week uh, before Halloween. There was obviously Halloween activities going on. People might not have been home. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yes. So, Shauna's mother, Lucy, and the stepfather, John, they started to panic when she didn't return home by 8 p.m. Then at 10 p.m., they were calling police to report her missing, and kind of the police put the two calls together, and the description of Shauna matched what the citizen had called in and said, like, I saw this girl, and it matched. That's just the worst somehow because she was almost home exactly i feel like things happen when you're so close to home because i feel like you almost let down your guard i've read that like car accidents you're more likely to have an accident within i think like five minutes of your home yes yep i've heard that as well just she was so close to being home yeah Ugh. So the FBI was involved in the case immediately. They wanted to find as many witnesses as possible as to what had happened and where Shauna could be. 
The Howe family put together search parties in the hopes of trying to find her. On the 30th in Elwood City Ledger, it states that her uncle Keith Sybil found a green jumpsuit along a hiking trail about eight miles south of Oil City on the 29th. This particular trail is located near a highway. Lucy believed the jumpsuit was Shauna's and it was the one she had on under her clothes when she was abducted. Mm-hmm. John's stepfather was the one who was called in to identify it, which I'm I'm not sure why. Maybe he was like the last to like be with her. I'm not sure why it was him, but he confirmed that it was hers. Hmm. And when that bodysuit was found, a sense of like urgency kind of erupted um, because I guess they thought that maybe... Maybe she ran away or was, like, rebelling, hanging out with friends, even though they got that, like, abducted encounter. And I don't know. I read somewhere that, like, maybe they thought it was a prank. It was nights before Halloween. Kids oh being stupid. I mean, yeah. I can it could see be. it, but mm-hmm. I don't like it. Not at all. Not at all. And, you know... I don't know. I just thought that the concerned citizen story should have had like them on high alert from the minute, you know. Yeah. Hey, this 11 year old was taken screaming into yeah. a car. So probably not running away. Probably I mean, not. I can see doing stupid things as a kid. Like I can kind of see this situation in my mind where something similar could have happened where maybe it seemed like something bad was happening, but I would have shown back up at home. Yeah. At some point. It's not a prank if you're missing for however long. Exactly. Big trigger warning. When the authorities did find that jumpsuit, they did find a semen stain on it, which they were Ugh. able to pull DNA. Yeah. That's yeah. Makes my skin crawl. Yes. And I guess I should put out like trigger warning. Um, going forward, we'll be talking about some sensitive stuff, especially with like little kids. So if that's like not your cup of coffee, jump to the next episode. Um, or go back and listen to maybe some of the lighter Halloween episodes, (laughs) cleanse your palate or that. So on the 30th, Shauna's body was found by a relative during a search party. This led to speculation because people felt that happening across her body in a remote area was unlikely unless the person knew where she was. But DeBerti, who was the original head investigator on the case, says that it was not unlikely since there were tons of search parties looking all over. He stated that all of Shauna's family were out searching, along with everyone else in the community. At the time, there were two prominent thoughts on what occurred with Shauna. People thought it was someone who knew Shauna and had been following her routine to be able to grab her. Or other other people thought that it was just a random attack that someone was out on the prowl that night looking for their next victim. Regardless, it was obvious to police that once she was taken, she was being held due to the fact that her body was found a couple dozen feet from where the jumpsuit was found the previous day. Oh. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. And when the jumpsuit was found, they obviously did a huge canvas of the area and her body wasn't there. And they, so they definitely looked at that area, even though it was kind of remote. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's where the jumpsuit was found in this remote area. Okay. And like kind of if you look at pictures or if you watch any of the A&E episodes, it's like an underpass and it's now it's a trail. I'm not sure if it had actual, you know, an actual road, quote unquote road. It's more of a walking, biking path now, but literally around the bend and over the trestle. That's where her body was. So I don't even think it was a half a mile away. Just to kind of recap, her uncle found the jumpsuit. 
Oh, I yes, her uncle found a jumpsuit, and then yep. another relative found her body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can see how that would be kind of weird. Like, I get even if it's remote and there's huge search parties, you're being very thorough. I don't think that's weird. But if there's all these other people searching and it's two relatives that find these things, that just sticks out to me. It does. And I will say I've seen conflicting information, as we always do. And this is an older case, 30 years, literally, as of, well, our tomorrow right now as we're recording. Mm-hmm. A little bit more uh, 30 years when you're listening. But um, so a lot of stuff kind of gets regurgitated. Things kind of change. I read a couple of accounts that saying like a walker by someone was walking, doing a walk the next day and they noticed her body and it was just like a random person. But I pulled this from an article from that week of 1992 and the detective said that a relative found her. So I'm going to go with that. Okay. And I have it yeah. sourced. Do what you want with it. That's fair. Yeah. And it, he even goes into talking about, you know, people were definitely worried that the family had something to do with it because they both um, family were part of the search parties that found both things. Okay. I just find it crazy. Like we just talked about how her body was found right near the jumpsuit. Like to go back to the scene again, almost quote unquote scene. Like I have heard that criminals return to the crime scene to like kind of insert themselves into the investigation, relive the crime. I guess to some it feels powerful and some like, I guess there's a sexual component with it. Yeah. I'm just confused how like they, I guess because they did find the jumpsuit and canvas and they didn't find anything, it kind of wasn't taped off or like mm-hmm. there wasn't people there watching cause they didn't find anything like they didn't find blood or anything, but to come back through the middle of the night and then I don't know, it just, that's just almost more insult injury. Yeah, he, whoever did this snuck in and left her body there and also snatched her from a busy street. Yeah, they ha- it's he like just, they had no care. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like they didn't care if they got caught. So it is important to know that in the early 90s, the location she was found was a popular place for young people. This was due to the fact that the pathway at the time was not well-traveled. It was not well lit and people knew they would have a sense of privacy underneath this underpass slash pathway. People would throw parties, you know, kind of like a drug scene down there. So it wasn't like the best place. Right. Seedy. Yes. So Shauna was found on a rocky creek bed and this was also eight miles outside of town, just near the jumpsuit. And Like I said before, it was around the bend from where the jumpsuit was found. It appears she was thrown from a railroad trestle, and it just, like, makes me think of our trestle. (laughs) Yeah. Literally between our places. Um, I've never been on that trestle because I believe it's closed because of, like, structural issues. Yeah. And I could not find, for the life of me, a good picture of this trestle. If you watch the A&E episode, they actually walk along it and show you exactly where they believe she was thrown from. Okay. So it gives you a good idea of where this happened. Um, it is believed by everyone that she was alive after being tossed from this trestle. I read that right before you said it. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. This just keeps getting worse. Oh, it gets pretty It really does. Yeah. 
her little shoes were found between one of the tracks and they were facing opposite directions. So it wasn't just like they fell off as they lifted her up. They like intentionally placed it there, almost like taunting the police, which is, I think, shitty. Yikes. Yeah, it is believed that she, you know, as she was thrown, she hit a piece of rebar. Oh my God. Yeah, they found blood residue on it. And her injuries indicated that a sexual assault had occurred. She had scrapes on her faces and knees. She had a broken wrist from trying to break her fall. And I could not for the life of me find out what it was, even though this is a solved case. And I thought maybe it would have been brought up in court. But she had an injury that indicated sexual assault. So I don't know if it could have been like a bite mark or bruising down yonder. I don't know. I could not find it. Sometimes that stuff isn't released ever since she was a minor. Yes. True. But everyone from the medical examiner to the police thought that it was 100% there was um, sexual assault. Mm. There was extreme blunt force trauma to her face and chest, and the authorities believe that this was due to the fall. She also had a broken arm and dislocated shoulder. And this is a really important detail that will come up later, that it proves that she was alive as she was thrown off the bridge because she braced herself for the fall. If you're unconscious, you're not going to be bracing yourself. And apparently there was like other wounds that indicated like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but she braced herself. So she had more breaks than if she didn't brace herself, if that makes sense. Yes, it does to me. And the only reason I can make sense of that is because my growing up, my family had a friend and they had a son that jumped off a bridge, I guess, trying to commit suicide. But he was so doped up. I mean... He didn't die. Blowing my mind. They said if he ha- wasn't like doped up or if he had been bracing for it, he would have died. I don't. They say that about car accidents with drunk drivers or drivers under the influence of whatever drug, because when you get in a car accident and you know the impact is coming a split second before you tense your whole body. But if you are like a drunk driver, you don't tend to do that. So that's why when drunk drivers hit people, like it's more likely the other person will be seriously injured or die and the drunk person will be fine. That's which is just, I don't even know. Karma's a little backwards there, I guess. Yeah. Tell me about it. But I'm also thinking too, they found the jumpsuit in this area. Her body wasn't there. So she was still alive at this point, probably. And then whoever took her, like, brought her on the bridge and threw her off while she was still alive. Like, that's so deliberate and Mm -hmm. very scary. Very. So I dug through a lot of articles on this case, like a lot of older ones. And I came across one from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and it really broke my heart. It mentioned that her death is so well-remembered, but Shauna led a life that seemed hardly memorable. And that really crushed me. Yeah. Kind of makes it sound like, you know, she wasn't the girl that was, like, on the honor roll and all of these things and lights up a room like people talk about, but it doesn't mean her death was any less tragic. Yeah. So... The article states that she came from a family that was broken structurally and financially. Richard Jack, who was her third grade teacher at the time, said that she was nice, but quiet and withdrawn. 
which he believed was due to her poverty and disjointed home life. He said that his peoples haven't forgotten the circumstances of Shauna's death and it isn't because she was gone. It was because the city imposed curfews and parents became strict. The day after Shauna was found, the city canceled Halloween, like I mentioned before, and this was a prior town that didn't lock their doors, and now I'm sure that every door was locked from house to car to garage. Yeah. More parents were waiting at the bus stops. More panicked parents when kids were five minutes late. The schools became strict on kids not showing up, requiring parents to call and notify why the child was absent, and the entire town was on edge. Yeah. And there was this huge worry. Was this a one-time attack or would there be more to follow? So it's just really sad that she's really not remembered specifically for anything. You know, didn't have a lot of friends, but everyone remembered her. She's remembers for canceling Halloween. Yeah. And that is very sad. I don't know if you looked at her pictures. She's a beautiful kid. Bright, stunning blue eyes. It's just pretty sad. She clearly was on the right path doing Girl Scouts, singing to like the other people in the community. Just she was just a kid. I mean, just because she didn't have any like, I don't know, outstanding things that people had to say about her. She was just being she was just a child. Oh, yeah. Being a normal child. Yep. So that kind of killed me a little bit inside. But police believe the only way to crack this case was really to match the DNA because they did have DNA. And we all know that family is typically looked at first. They tested John's DNA and and they eliminated him early on. They moved to all the uncles, eliminated them too. Apparently, they tested a number of individuals, but nothing ever hit. Thanks to Dan Payton, again, the concerned citizen who reported the abduction, he um he gave a re- really good description of the abdu- abductor when he called the police. He basically told them that this guy was tall, skinny. I believe the guy was like wearing a ball cap, he said. And, you know, that, I mean, I feel like that could fit damn near anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, maybe not anyone like myself, but just like a huge group of people could fit that sure. category. It's like when people say like a medium sized male with brown hair. Yeah. You're like, okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's such a help. Mm -hmm. But someone did call in to the police giving a tip saying that they think the description fit a man named Ted Walker. So police go to Shauna's family and said, hey, did Shauna know Ted? Lucy said that she knew him from the pizza shop. Lucy said that when Ted worked, he would insist on giving the girls hugs, but the girls would run away from him. Ew. Yep. Ugh. Like, how's that guy still working there? I'm confused. Well, it was 92. Today, we would be like, ew, go to jail. Yeah. But in 92, it was like, oh, he just really likes kids or Mm -hmm. something else that people would brush off. Yeah. And like, yeah, you're totally right. Like, today would be a red flag. He wouldn't be working there, but different time frame. Yeah. So police looked into Ted and found out he had a small red car, similar to the description given the night Shauna was abducted, which, I mean, another red flag. The only problem is DNA cleared Ted, as it had many others. The authorities followed so many leads and looked into many possibilities, but the case ended up going cold, even though there was a reward of $15,000 for information leading to the killer. And I think at that time, that was a lot of money for a reward. Oh, for sure. So, 
Case goes cold. Three years later, we're about like 1995. There was an attempted abduction of another little girl. She was walking down the same street that Shauna walked and this guy was stalking her. He attacked her violently and attempted to get her into the trunk. This little girl was such a badass and fought with every fiber of her being. Good for her. Yes. She was able to escape and later told police she knew that if they got her into that trunk, she'd be dead, which is probably true. Police were able to find the attacker, and it was a guy named Jimmy, his real name's James O'Brien. Between him and his brother, Timmy, they were well known by the police. Timmy and Jimmy? Yeah, I know. Give me a break. Yeah. The pair of them were sexual violent offenders. Jimmy was then arrested for this abduction... In 1995, police felt that this was way too similar to Shauna's case. So they kind of really looked into it. But unfortunately, they found that both the brothers were incarcerated at the time of Shauna's disappearance and death. Shauna's case then fades into the background again and it goes cold again. This is a shame because it seems like promising leads. It definitely and then does. Just dead ends. Yep. Well, in 1997, on October 29th, somehow another child was abducted. Her name was, I want to say, Shanae. That's how I would say it. Okay. I think it's Shanae. Her last name was Freeman, and she was abducted while playing with friends near Wooded Area. Like, she was with people. Like, the audacity. I just don't get it. Yeah. Anyway, the real harrowing tale of this case is she was only four. Oh, my God. An actual baby. An actual baby. Yes. Yes. But with this case, it kind of sparked open Shauna's case again. It kind of threw it back into the media because they were like, well, maybe it's the same person. Maybe we'll really find this person after all. Because, you know, after, I guess, repeat offenders, they get sloppy. They leave more stuff. There's more hope. Right. But that did not happen. Shanae's case ended up getting solved fairly fast when Nicholas Bowen confessed to police of the killing and raping of Shanae. He led them to her body and it was pretty fast. Like they obviously convicted him. But this case actually more recently as of 2017 resurfaced. At the time of the murder, Nicholas was 17 years old, which blows my mind because like he's still a kid. Right. And he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. But in 2012, if you did not know, the trial Miller versus Alabama, which was a Supreme Court case, it held that it is unconstitutional for juvenile offenders to be served with a life without the possibility of parole. I did know about that. Yeah. And it kind of threw a lot of cases into resentencing. Um, yeah. I think there was a huge cutoff. I mean, I still think there was like thousands that did not get to get resentenced. I mean, there's almost so much time. You have to have proof. Yada, yada, yada. Right. What have you. Um. So Nicholas got a resentencing in 2017, but apparently the same day as a trial, he was served the same sentence. Hmm. And the Commonwealth basically said, they said the defendant is permanently, I can't really say this word, so don't laugh at me, incorrigibly. And incapable. Incorrigible. Yeah. Yes. You did it. (laughs) Okay. I did it. And incapable of rehabilitation, which kind of like blew my mind. That's a huge, powerful statement. And I want to know how you feel about it. I mean, I guess it depends what type of psychological testing he had. I feel like that might be kind of hard to say definitively in the beginning. 
I'm, I don't know. I mean, we've definitely heard of criminals that we have thought, you know, they're definitely incapable of rehabilitation. They should just be yeah. dead, honestly. But the only thing I, I don't could know. really, the only thing I could really think is that obviously by his resentencing, that's like almost 20 years exactly um, from when it happened. And maybe yeah. he just didn't show remorse. Yeah. If there's no growth at all, then you can pretty much, I don't know, extrapolate that and say that if after 20 years, there's nothing, there's not going to be anything past that. So, yeah. So maybe needless to say, he's where he belongs. Sounds like it. Yeah. So back into Shauna in January, 1998, six years later, the police decided to look deeper into a mark that was left on Shauna's cheek. They brought in Halbert Fillinger, a medical examiner who confirmed the mark on her cheek was a shoe print, though it was never mentioned in the autopsy report, which is kind of strange, I think. I thought they were supposed to, like, literally detail every mark on the body. I've seen it before, for sure, in other cases, so I guess things can just be missed, but Blows I don't my know. Mind. Well, while looking at the autopsy pictures, he noticed that she didn't have any marks from restraints, which, when thinking about it, is weird when you know she was held captive for a couple of days. Sure. So, with this, Halbert theorized that meant that she had multiple people holding her captive. And with this new idea, the police decided to do a deep dive in all of the departments, which is really a good thing because they discovered in 1992 the fire department got called to a car fire. The reason it seems like a hit is because it was a small red car that was ablaze. And it just so happened that this car belonged to someone we talked about, Ted Walker. Now it isn't looking too hot for him. No pun intended. I think you intended it. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. He knows Shauna. He fits the description. He was known to have kids come to his place. And now the car that fits the description magically is destroyed. And kind of ideas ran wild with the police. They started wondering, was she ever in the car? Did the rape occur in the car? I mean, what was the point of destroying the car? And Hmm. police just felt that there had to be some sort of evidence that he wanted to erase. It wasn't like he got in an accident and his car went up. It was just a car fire. Hmm. Yep. I do have to say, and maybe you talk about this in a little bit, but the theory that she was held by multiple people... mm -hmm. I was literally just listening to a podcast episode about Jamie Kloss, and she was abducted and held for 88 days. Oh, my God. She she was not held with restraints. It was more of a psychological thing, and she was 13, I believe, and he had her so believing that he would, like, kill her or go after her family if she tried to escape and Shauna is 11, so she's in that same age range. Is that the case where they found her in public? She, was that her? She ran outside. No, you might be thinking her. of Elizabeth Smart. No, I don't think I'm thinking about her either. Oh. I know her. Oh, okay. But anyway, similar thing. Similar thing. Yeah, but it's more of a psychological thing than physical restraints. And she was 11, so you tell this girl that if she tries to escape, you'll kill her, you'll kill her family. I That could be very... Um, Detrimental. You know, yeah. Powerful. Honestly, it could work. Powerful, yes. That is something I did not think of. That's a good call. I will be talking more about it. You'll find out okay. why. That's a good call. I didn't even think about that. You're so smart. 
Well, I was just listening to another podcast. So. <laughs> so obviously police end up bringing Ted in to talk. They think that they have enough to really talk to him and like try to pull some information from him. Uh, in this Annie episode, uh, they play the taped interview and Ted tells them that he learned about the abduction of Shauna from the O'Brien brothers, another name we've heard. So there was a question if the O'Briens were ever questioned. And again, they were told that the pair of them were in jail at the time. Yet detectives on the case never saw paperwork or report officially saying that they were in jail the night of the abduction. So the authorities looked deeper into it, and it turns out they were not in jail the night of her abduction or her murder. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Someone dropped the ball. Yeah, clearly. Oh, my God. No due diligence was done there. So I think the confusion was they were supposed to be in jail, but they bonded out. Okay. Yeah. But, like, even though it was, like, an honest mistake, that mistake really, like, it was just not a good look. No. Nope. Not at all. Nope. So there were just years spent using these resources that have, you know, it could have been a decade earlier they could have solved this case. And they could have prevented that because they, they did other crimes after that. So they it could have prevented much more terror in the community if they would have caught that earlier. So, you know, just such a small error. Think about how many other cases have the same issue. Right. It's horrifying. It could be that someone was put away because of like a small detail. I was listening to a crazy case and I don't, I've never, I mean, we talk about podcasts. I've never heard you mention it. I listened to Dateline. Okay. Just because they put out so many episodes and I literally listen like nine hours a day. So I need like a lot of content. Yeah. But I heard a story about these two, another set of brothers, go figure. And they were in prison for a murder of a drug dealer. And like 20 years later, someone posted on Facebook, my favorite place, something small. And a guy from that didn't even know the brothers were like, hey, I didn't know they were in jail. I remember a crazy story. And... I'm pretty sure that they were not the people that were like, I guess, witnessed or ID'd by a witness. And it turned out that they served 20 years for a crime that they did not do. And it was just like one small mistake. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's just crazy how just the smallest minuscule detail can change a case to guilty to not guilty and vice versa. Sure. And it's scary. So scary. But anyway, I digress. Totally. (laughs) As we do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So it turns out that the DNA that they pulled from that semen smear was uh, James O'Brien, Jimmy, whatever you want to call him. So the three men ended up getting arrested. Ted was arrested as an accessory. And when Ted was talking to police, he really thought. So it was really the O'Brien's idea. They came up with the idea to abduct someone, but they told Ted that it was going to be a prank. And I feel like Ted, maybe he wasn't special needs, but he was definitely impressionable. I believe. And so he went in on this and he basically was like, never in my wildest dreams did I think what happened would happen at all. And you think he is telling the truth? I have no idea. I mean, they all seem like pieces of shit. So it sounds like it. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll get we'll get to why I'm not a fan of Ted in a little bit. Oh, I'm already not a fan of Ted. Yeah. I only know that he's a is he the thin guy that they saw? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm hmm. 
That's all I know about him. (laughs) So their trials happened in September of 2016. In the end, Ted was convicted of kidnapping and third-degree murder and was sentenced to 40 years in prison. And this was part of a plea bargain uh, that he took when he agreed to testify against the brothers. In court, he had admitted to grabbing Shauna off the street and passing her to the brothers waiting in his car. Oh, God. Mm Mm-hmm. He also said that they had her upstairs in his house and he could hear her screaming, but he did nothing to help her. All right. Well, you're just as guilty in my eyes. Yes. Yes. Like at that point, you know, it's not a joke. Right. You know, something unfathomable is happening upstairs. Like there's no reason someone should be screaming and like begging. And it's a child. And it's a child. And he obviously knew that. I mean, he saw her. He's the one who grabbed her. Mm-hmm. And I just think it is heartless sitting there listening to the assault that they did on that poor girl. Yeah. But he swore he had zero involvement in her death. There was another quote-unquote witness who came forward in trial. It was Ryan Heath, who was Venango County prisoner inmate. He corroborated the same story that Ted told, and he said that Timmy admitted to him while in jail. The Almost the same exact version. I always question inmate stories though i do too and always uh the articles that i read it's not like he gained anything by coming forward like he didn't get like a reduced sentence at least it didn't say that i tried searching and i couldn't find anything on that so gotcha and i just think that the fact that it was so similar uh and it had details that were not provided that's why it was they think it was truthful i see so the o'brien brothers ended up guilty of kidnapping and murder. They got life in prison without the possibility of parole. Their attorney tried hardcore blaming it on Ted being the only person responsible for her death and the sexual assault. He claimed Ted killed her, threw her from the bridge, but earlier when we were talking, it was determined that she was still alive as she was thrown. And it just, there's no way he did it on his own. Um, so the judge on this trial was Judge Oliver J. Lobo, he made the statement, while Shauna Howe was a member of the Girl Scouts enriching the lives of senior citizens at a convalescent home, you were lurking in the shadows plotting to ruin her life. You ended up taking her life. This world was a better place because of Shauna, and it will be a better and safer place without the both of you walking free ever again. Damn. Yeah. And the pair both had nothing to say to the judge before sentencing and it said that like their lawyers uh, advise them not to talk at all so i found an article that kind of talked about the mother of the uh the o'briens and she like and i couldn't tell when like these statements were made by her like if it was before trial or after trial but she like vehemently denied her son's involvement her name's linda o'brien and she said she had never heard of ted walker and has no clue how like he was connected with her sons she was quoted as saying you know he was engaged when this happened what in god's name would he go after a child for going after a child is crazy i hope they find the person who did this and skin them alive i don't believe in it she said And like, I mean, we've heard of so many cases. It doesn't matter if they're married, have children, have a quote unquote normal life. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. Nothing at all. And she does she know all of the people that her sons associate with? Like, just because 
my mom's definitely never heard of like certain people I talk to on a daily basis just because I don't mention them. It doesn't mean I'm not associated with them. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy to me. But the I the crazy thing to me is she was adamant the DNA they found was due to the fact he went camping in that general area all the time. And I just laughed because his DNA was found on her jumpsuit and in her mouth. Oh, I didn't know about that. I didn't mention it. Um, but yeah, in her mouth. Yep. Crazy. Awful. Uh, Like, how do you refute that? Even if it was just on the jumpsuit, I mean, it was semen. Yes. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. he was camping in the woods off and on a child's leotard. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. So I could not find much about her after looking at that article, but I was just kind of like, blown away and she had a lot to say i mean we're gonna source it you can see her her ramblings i would call them i mean she was just going on and on and how like he was wrongfully named a sexual uh predator because i guess he was in jail when they convicted him for shauna he was in jail for trying to attempt to take that one girl like we talked about earlier and no there was no sexual assault that had occurred but that was like the intent Mm, and i guess she was like it's unfair that he would have to register like that and i'm just like oh Uh. sounds wrong it's like i don't really like you right now i get that it's their mom but shauna was also someone else's child yes yeah yeah so lucy has planned a memorial walk in oil city to mark 30 years since shauna's abduction and again like we talked about it we are recording earlier than you're listening so like for us the walk is tomorrow but it's going to be done by the time you hear it this walk is to honor shauna and her lasting legacy in the community it is planned that participants will retrace shauna's steps as she walked home the night of october 27th 1992 from the girl scout halloween party according to the venango extra website so it's like a county website with like all these like updated events and stuff Participants are asked to bring stones painted purple with a memo in memory of Shauna. Lucy says that purple was her favorite color and that she has a plan of using these stones, but she's not revealing what for. So I'm guessing it's something she'll like reveal later on after she has them all, after everyone like brings them. And basically, this is a direct quote from that page from the family. Remembering Shauna 30 years later and also reminding people about how unsafe the world is for children motivated Brown and her daughters, so Shauna's other sisters, to organize this walk. She is also using the walk as an opportunity to ask the community for their help in writing the parole board because Ted is up for parole in 2020. Oh, God, if I could talk. Parole in 2025. And she would like the help in preventing him from walking. Or, you know, soon. Yeah. Mm hmm. She says, there are kids out there running around after dark. I want people to remember Shauna and what happened to her. Those three who abducted and murdered Shauna are locked up, but there are others who would do something just like that. Brown added that Oil City is a nice place to live 90% of the time. In 1992, I believe that Oil City was a safe place, and I don't believe that now. I don't believe there is any place that is safe to raise kids. That's awful. It is awful absolutely awful um and we're gonna have a lot of pictures there's a lot of pictures for this there's we'll have pictures of her tombstone pictures of her there's a picture of the street where she was abducted picture with her siblings and stuff and 
we'll just have a lot of good information. There's a lot of sources out there. There's a ton of other podcasts that also cover this case. I did not listen to really any of them. They're not like super well-known podcasts, but hey, go support, you know, small ones like ours. And there's, you know, a lot of episodes, I think, on places like A&E, cold cases. So yeah, if you are more interested, want to know more about it, there's also a lot more information out there about Shanae as well, who was a victim around Halloween. So yeah, if you're interested in more. And with that, I guess we can say happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. (laughs) That's all we have for this episode of Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by Chelsea Brown. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. The music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out. <laughs>